tonight is our final equipping class of this semester. So I hope you guys have enjoyed them and felt like they've been helpful for you. We are in the process of praying through what we're going to do in the spring for what types of classes we're going to offer and what nights we'll offer them on. So if you guys have opinions, you can send them to me later. Um, but what I thought we would do tonight is I want to talk for a little while and then I just want to have a lot of time for questions at the back end because I think in this particular topic, discernment, deliverance, spiritual warfare, it's sort of best learned through what your experiences are um, because it's so nuanced and different from one to the next. So if you've got questions or if I'm saying something and it sparks a question, just jot it down and we'll have time at the end for that. Good? All right, I'm going to pray, um, and then we're going to dive in. So, Lord, we just thank you for just the ability to gather in your name and to learn and grow and um, get to experience you in fresh ways. So, Lord, I'm asking tonight that our hearts and our minds would be attuned to you and what you want to do. And, um, Lord, I'm asking just that all of us would have an increased awareness of how big you are and how majestic you are and how we can operate with you in the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I wanted to kick things off tonight by telling you guys my story as it relates to this particular topic. I was the kind of kid who was really obsessed with like paranormal type things. Um, I read all the scary stories, all the, you know, R.L. Stein things. Um, I read, you know, I was like really obsessed with the Salem witch trials for a long time, actually, which is really comical when you think about it, but um, I grew up in a home. My dad was Jewish. My mom had grown up Southern Baptist. We occasionally went to a Methodist church, so my grid for what God was like was very not supernatural, and not that anybody was telling me he wasn't. It's just I wasn't exposed to that side of him, but I had this hunger and thirst inside of me to see something of, like, fantastical nature, right? I just, if I mean, if the Marvel Universe was out when I was a kid, I would have been I would have believed I was Captain Marvel, like, you know, in the core of my being. And um, I didn't understand until I was 21 that I had the gift of discernment. And so because of that, the enemy was able to lay a huge foundation of fear in my life that was really hard to undo, actually, as I discovered that. But for me, I didn't really get into witchcraft, although I had friends that had um, really a lot of involvement with that. And I just was sort of on the line. I attribute it wholeheartedly to my grandmother's prayer life over me, which is why I didn't step cross across that line. Thank you, Jesus. But I wanted to, I was just, I wanted to know what power was. That's what I wanted. I wanted to see like something that was beyond what we can see in everyday life. And um, so then he, I got to college. I got married. Grant and I got married when I was 21. And that year I went through a series of things. Right before that I had a very public and humiliating deliverance that was an accidental situation. We were on a mission trip in Mexico and we had been out ministering to some people. And there was a, a woman there who had, you know, been talking to me and giving me this long hug. And I think there was a transfer of something from her onto me that was like a critter of some sort um, or a friend, if you want to call it that. And we were at the debrief time that night and I had a, 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 a honestly, a demonic manifestation in my physical body. It was so awkward. I mean, it was... And I didn't know what was happening to me. I was still pretty much Methodist. You know, I was very confused. And um, anyways, I left that meeting just thinking, just get to your hotel room. I don't know what's happening, but just get out of where people can see you. And I ended up uh, in a conversation with the team leader that we were there with and started just weeping. And they were like, wow, something's wrong. And so they set me down in this courtyard where everybody could see on their way back to their hotel room. And it was one of those things where I don't fault them for it. They were in panic mode, I'm sure. But man, I wish somebody would have had the wherewithal to think about what was happening. So I was like skitzing out and I didn't know what was happening. And they were saying things to me that felt very offensive. And then I could just see all these people like watching, like what is happening to this girl? And uh, when it was all over, I was like, I will never be a part of something like that again. That was awful. And um, I really had a tremendous amount of fear of the enemy, to be honest, because of that situation, just knowing I didn't have control. I didn't know what was going on. And then shortly after that, maybe six, seven months later, I had a series of night terrors where for about three months, every night I would be just lambasted and really honestly tormented in my mind. Uh, and, and really weird things, like for example, I was having a dream where fire ants had come into my bed and they were biting me and I woke up and it was actually happening. Like they had found my side of the bed. I don't know why they didn't find Grant's side of the bed, but they found my side of the bed. And it was like a lot of things like that that were just 
intense and bizarre, okay? And not everybody experiences that, and I'm really thankful for that, but that was my story. So I ended up, uh, at the end of that night terror season, I had a, a just a, a run-in with the enemy that was so life-altering for me that I reached out to get help because I couldn't, I just felt like I was losing my sanity. And when I got the help, my pastor looked at me and said, Rachel, you have the gift of discernment. And I thought, I don't think that's what we're talking about here. That sounds weird, you know. And he said, no, this is what's going on. And he started telling me stories about other pastors and people who had this gifting that were having experiences, had experiences in the same way. And what I learned was the enemy was preemptively coming at me because he knew what I would do with my life, right? He knew how I would come to know God. And so his goal, I believe the only goal, was to get me to believe he had a measure of power more than he really does. So for several years after that, I operated in this mentality that I have to be really careful about what I do when I gain ground for the Lord because I don't want to deal with like backlash or whatever. And what I've come to discover now is all of that was, for me, garbage thinking because I was afraid. So I was empowering the enemy by my fear instead of really tapping into what God wanted to do. So I, I spent probably from 21 to about 29 learning everything I could about spiritual warfare. And eventually I realized I was doing that because that was my protective mechanism. Like if I can gain enough knowledge, then I'll be okay. I'll be safe, you know, um, which is not the way it works in the kingdom, right? <laughs> we have to trust the Lord. We have to surrender to him. We can't allow our fear to take us any direction that's apart from the Lord. And so about seven years ago, um, I had a moment with God where he said, Rachel, I want to teach you to see spiritual warfare like I see spiritual warfare. And I thought, I thought that's what I was doing, but apparently it's not, so let's learn that. And I began to come into an, uh, an elevated perspective and a higher level of understanding of how God is in the world, and man, it was the beginning of the breaking and dismantling of that fear. And so the end goal of that, or the end part of that, which is why I brought this resource for you guys, was me reading this book called The Unseen Realm. Um, so this was like, I had gained so much freedom in my life, and then the Lord brought me this book last year, and this was like the final piece of the puzzle. And when I read this book, it was every piece of of residual fear in me was just gone. And I want to talk about the premise of this book um, for this particular reason. So this book is called The Unseen Realm. It's called Recovering the Supernatural Worldview of the Bible. It's by a guy named Dr. Michael Heiser. And Michael Heiser is one of the um, resident theologians for the Logos Bible software that thousands of pastors across the U.S. actually use. And he's like one of a handful of people who have his particular um, schooling in Hebrew and Greek and just biblical studies in that way. So he's a very, very credible source. Um, this particular book, it's an academic book, and it's very long. So I actually got it on Audible, and I listened to it. And it's 15 hours of teaching, just for anybody that's wondering. It's a very long journey. But it tells the story of the heavens from the beginning to the end. And it was um, the, the missing piece for me where God had already been speaking a lot of these different things. And then this sort of brought it into the theological view for me. So what I want to do to kind of kick off our night is tell you a little bit about what's in this book. But I, if you're curious, this is the greatest resource I can recommend to you about it. He has a companion book called Supernatural that's much smaller. It's like a third of this size. It's sort of the if you're not interested in the theological components, you can read that one. If you like to go deep, read this one. Um, but basically what this is talking about is that God created the, like I said this morning, if you guys were here, God created the heavens and the earth. And so the heavens are the pattern that the world is supposed to live from. And in Deuteronomy, there's a couple of obscure verses that talk about how God created a family in heaven before he created his family and humans on the earth. It's really interesting stuff. And so in that, he created what Deuteronomy calls the sons of God. And there's a, he pulls together several different verses, but essentially there's like 70 sons of God listed in the Bible. And these are ruling power principality type gods. That's what I believe when Ephesians talks about the rulers of the air, it's actually pointing to these sons of God in Deuteronomy. And so what Heiser talks about is that there was the Tower of Babel, which we are all pretty much familiar with, that the people came together to build this tower to touch heaven. And then it was really frustrating to the Lord when he saw what mankind could do in unity against the Lord. And so he disinherited his people. He disinherited his sons of God in heaven and on the earth. And when he did that, he actually drew essentially lines on the ground, like he drew a map of the earth and he gave different portions of land to these governing spirits. And so they were um, originally intended to govern on behalf of God, but because of their rebellion, they chose to govern 
apart from the Lord, right? To lead people away from the Lord. And I, 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 I think this is such a fascinating concept because it really helps you understand even today the different cultures that we have in the world, like the Middle Eastern culture, for example, or even like the Buddhist culture, or um, you know, in, in Asia, there's lots of different nuances, similar ideas of religion, but different nuances. Uh, you could take the Indian you know, religion, there's 3,000 gods in, um, in, in that. Um, there's, I mean, it's, it's crazy, but there is like a measure of power that these religions have. And it's because, in my opinion, they are operating off of these lesser gods that God created, which, which we're not going to get into fully tonight, but what's fascinating to me is then when Jesus came, and then he was the son of God, and then he became the son of God. So it was like the ultimate in your face to all these other rebellious powers, right, where God was like, no, you're no longer my son. This is my son, and I'm actually giving him a name above all of your names, but that's a message for another time. Um, but what I, what for me personally, this understanding was essentially the Tower of Babel, God disperses the, um, the ground, the peoples into these different pagan gods to be governed by. And then when it comes to the point of Pentecost, when the tongues of fire came and everybody began to speak in other languages, if you look into the original Greek and Hebrew context of those um, countries that are listed, the languages that are listed at Pentecost, it's actually the countries that were listed in the disbursement at the Tower of Babel. You have to trace them back through history, but that's what it is. And what's fascinating is that it was like God was saying, I'm now going to reclaim these people who I disinherited because I was never, that was never forever, that was for a time. But now through Jesus, we can reclaim everything because it all belongs to me anyway. And so what we've been given through the Great Commission, through our salvation, is this charge and this call to go out and reclaim every area of the world back to the Lord. And so because we're doing that, we're taking it away from a different God. And that's sort of the nature of spiritual warfare, right? So for me, I, I needed to understand how big God really is so that I could feel that much more empowered to operate in the things he's called me to. Because if there's one thing you hear tonight, I really want you guys to hear me say there is no place for fear when it comes to operating in the kingdom. There's only one legal place for fear in the, in the kingdom of God, and it's the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. And even that's not fear. It's not fear like we think about it. It's reverence. It's recognition of who he is as God, right? And so when we come into anything that has to do with the kingdom of darkness, if we're feeling fear, then you have to retrain your mind that that's a smoke show. It's a sleight of hand. It's what the enemy's doing to keep you from really being in tune with the Lord. Because if you step out of that place of being in tune with the Lord, then you don't get to do what God wants, and he wins. Amen? So I think for a lot of us, when we approach spiritual warfare or deliverance or things like this, it's like this feeling of fear because when the enemy is present, if, if you're a spiritually sensitive person, you can typically feel it. Um, there's a great show, uh, it's called The Orville, that's on Fox, and there's this character in the show, he's an alien, and he has this like um, stuff that comes, it's like, it looks like hair off his neck, so you guys are nodding, you know what I'm talking about. And when he senses fear, it just begins to move. It's like involuntary. That's what it's like to be a discerner. It's like you have no control over it. All of a sudden you're like, something is here. <laughs> you know, I was eating my cookie, having my coffee. Something is here. Wow, I can smell it. It's like the ganglias and this uh, character's neck, you know. And so we, when we feel that, then we have this choice to make. Are we going to cower in fear and assume that the enemy has a place of power? Or are we going to step up and say, no, there is no God like my God. So I don't know about you, but for me, when I would read the story of the rebellion happening in heaven, I, it's probably partially Greek mythology, partially my messed up childhood with the things I read and watched and stuff, but I envisioned it to be this like epic battle where it was like, the, you know, it was almost, we almost lost, you know, where God's like, come on, Michael, we need you. I don't know, I don't know what I was picturing, but I always thought it was this huge battle. But in reality, when the kingdom of darkness rebelled, it was zero contest. It was no contest. Like they, that's it. That's all. God is like, you know, in the Avengers Endgame. All he has to do is snap. There's no, he doesn't have to snap. He can just think it and it's done, right? And so that's what we have to renew our minds to when we're talking about spiritual warfare is that picture of who God is. That there is no contest. That if God is present, that's the end. There's no real need for a battle. If there is a battle taking place and there's something God is doing in us that's important. Um, I want to say one other thing before we kind of dive into these three topics on a definition basis. But 
There's an interesting scripture, and I think it's in Judges, where it talks about how um, an entire generation of Israelites had grown up and they did not know war. There had been a time of peace and they were unfamiliar with what it was like to do warfare. And so God purposely left five different enemy camps around Israel for one specific purpose, so that the Israelites would know war. And there's something interesting of God in that because we can look at that from two different perspectives. We can look and say, wow, Lord, you're messed up. Like, why would you do that? You know, isn't your goal peace? Or we can look at it and say, okay, so we're made in his image and God is a victorious person. He is victorious in everything. He has success in every battle he steps into, right? And so he's committed to us bearing his image even in that place. So he leaves these five camps around his precious children, not because he wants them to incur pain, but because he trusts his ability as God to make them into his image. I think we're still dealing with that today. We have these places of spiritual warfare in our life, and the the end goal from God's perspective is that we would be made into his image as victorious ones, as people who can stand in the face of darkness and be the light. But it's, it takes us renewing our minds, takes us like focusing on who God is to be in that place, amen? Because I don't know, like for me, even hearing that, I'm like, if I had heard that when I was 21, when I was 25, dealing with some really intense people in my life, it's like, how do you do that? How is that possible? But the more we focus on who God is, the more we understand him, and then it becomes something that is, should be effortless for us. I'm not saying it's easy at the first, but that's where we're going, that's what we're trying to get to, so... So we could be like him and just show up on the battlefield and he's like, what do you need? You need the sun to stand still? All right, <laughs> we'll just let it stand. I mean, you know, like that's God. He's crazy, right? He's, there's no thing he can't accomplish. So, okay, so if we're thinking about the world like I just explained it, where how all of these things go together in the heavens, how um, right now we're reclaiming territory from these principalities or rulers, spirits that are in the air, like Ephesians tells us, then that becomes the nature of what warfare is, right? Essentially, spiritual warfare is anything that you um, incur, uh, anything you come up against that's resistance in the spirit realm related to you pursuing your calling. So the enemy, it's not that he hates you, it's that he hates who Jesus is in you right? So he does not want you operating at the highest level of your relationship with God because that's the most threatening place to him. So think about it like this. God is a creator. He has um, limitless ability. He's still creating. Even today, he's still making things. He's like the national treasury. He can just pump out more money, except it doesn't, you know, affect inflation and stuff. Um, And so he's still creating, but the enemy's not like that. He has a limited amount of resources. So he comes at you at very strategic points in your journey to deposit something in you. The more we understand about how our brain works, which is part of why I'm such a nerd about this and why I'm so fascinated, is because if the enemy can get you to habitually think about something, then he doesn't have to oppress you with that anymore. You will oppress yourself, you know? And so he has this limited amount of resources that he comes at with us. So when we're incurring spiritual warfare, that's what's happening. We're gaining some sort of ground, whether it's internal, external, whatever, and the enemy's like, nope, can't have that. And that he puts pressure at the weakest point on purpose. He's ruthless, right? He, he, he pulls all the punches like he's the one who kicks you while you're down. But what the Lord is doing in the midst of that is teaching you how to become a warrior. So that's kind of what spiritual warfare is. So then God has given us the gift of discernment. I think actually everybody has discernment in some measure. Some of us have more than others, but everybody's got it. Discernment essentially is the ability to tell right from wrong. And when, the, when you get into the gifting in the New Testament, what it is is basically the ability to, to see the motive behind something. So whether it's from God or from the kingdom of darkness or from like your human nature, from your flesh, right? And so when we're in a situation, if you're using the gift of discernment, this is what you're doing. You're looking and saying, okay, this is God. It might not feel right, I might not like it, right? It might be awkward for me, but I know in my spirit this is God. Or we can say the same as this is the enemy. It feels good. It feels like this feels how, like it's, um, it's that age-old thing where fear gets masked as wisdom. Well, this sounds right. It sounds like what we should be doing, but when you're discerning, you can tell this is, this is not right. This is, there's something about this. And it's the same with our human nature where it's not necessarily demonic. It's not a demon empowering this. It's just human nature, Right? So that's kind of our working definition of discernment. So God gives us discernment so we can navigate and figure out 
what's happening in this world? <laughs> what's going on in our relationships and all that kind of stuff? And then he gives us deliverance. So deliverance is sort of the end of this equation, if you want to look at it like that, where we are removing the effects of the enemy from ourself, from our family, from our property. And deliverance takes a couple of different forms. So, um, for example, you know, not every demonic thing out there is something that, like, oppresses you physically. So if we're looking in the Bible and we see stories like the little boy who was demonized, the disciples couldn't cast it out and they brought him to Jesus. You guys remember that story? Or um, Legion even, some of these stories. When you look at that word possession, it's actually accurately translated as oppression. So the idea that we are like Emily Rose style, like possessed, you know, if you've seen some of those movies, I hope you haven't, but um, if you have, that's, that's not a thing. That's not really the way that it works in the kingdom. We get oppressed from the enemy. He kind of, it's, like it's like a leech or something, you know, they, they tack onto you, but it's not that they're controlling everything about you. Unless you want them to, then you can eventually give yourself over to that. That's possible. But in general, we're not talking about people who are possessed. We're talking about people who are oppressed. And so we can have that, but then we also have, this is one of the things that is really interesting to look at through discernment. We also have these ruling spirits, like I talked about before. We have these governing principalities, and those are not possessing spirits. Their goal is not to like get into you. Their goal is to affect the way you think. So when we're talking about deliverance, we have deliverance where we're casting out demons like the Bible tells us to. And then there also is a form of deliverance that is involved in renewing your mind and coming out of the influence of what that spirit is telling you to think. Does that make sense? It's all deliverance. It's all rejecting. Essentially, deliverance is rejecting the enemy, rejecting something that's from the kingdom of darkness. So for me... um, I think it's really important for us in this area to, like region, like physical land, to be uh, actively going against the spirit of religion and a couple others. But the spirit of religion is not necessarily something that's like oppressing you. It's not necessarily working from within you that you can just cast it off. It's like a ruling thing over us. And so our deliverance, so to speak, is coming out from the influence of that thought process. Does that make sense? Okay, so we'll have tons of time for questions. Um... Let's see, let's talk about, uh, okay, let's talk about spiritual warfare a little bit more. So um, you guys may be familiar with this, but there are three different types of like trials and tests that we go through, and not all of them are spiritual warfare. So this is where discernment again comes into play, and it's important for us to practice that, because some of the things that we deal with are actually like the consequences of our own decisions. I mean, it feels like spiritual warfare, but it's not necessarily. Like if you steal money from someone and then you're obligated to pay it back, then it could feel like a real place of attack on your finances, but it's really a consequence of something that you did, right? So the way we go about that has to look different than if we're charging heaven, you know, to to vanquish the enemy. Well, essentially what we need to do in those situations is repent and ask the Lord, what do I do? Give me the grace to make this right. That's the way we deal with that. And then we've got um, the kind of trials that are from God. Like God does test us. I don't think it's something we feel very comfortable thinking about, but he likes to put us to the test. Why? Because he wants us to see what's inside of us. He wants us to know where we're weak, where he wants to grow us. It's sort of like when the Israelites were encamped by all these armies. He's going, this will be good for you guys. (laughs) This will be good. It's going to test you. It's going to try you. It's going to make you see where you need me. And the Lord does that. And so if we're like rebuking the tests of the Lord, we're not going to get much, you know, (laughs) We're not going to gain much ground. I rebuke you, God. And God's like, you can't rebuke me. It doesn't work like that. Um, and so if that's the case, if that's, it feels like spiritual warfare sometimes, especially when we're really resisting surrender, we can feel like it's, it feels exactly the same sometimes when we're like, no, Lord, no, no, no. It's like the only anecdote to that type of a trial is to surrender, to say, Lord, your way, your will, that's the place of peace for me. And then the third category is what really does come from the enemy. So one of uh, my go-to methods to tell what's what, specifically with if it's from the enemy, is it feels like you've got something around your leg where, or you know, maybe it doesn't feel physical like that, but like you're walking about your life and then boom, you get yanked back to the same spot. The same thought, the same like, uh, let me give you a great example. So I grew up, I told you guys a little bit about my childhood, um, and I grew up really without a lot of spiritual support. In fact, I had basically no spiritual support when I was a kid. So I developed this mentality that if I was going to grow spiritually, it was going to be because I did it. 
You know, it was like, it's, it's really, honestly, it was like an orphan thinking thought. So it was like, if it's, it's up to me, it's all the weights on my shoulders. If I'm going to grow, if I'm going to go after God, it's going to be something I have to do. And Grant and I were driving to Missouri to see my family one day. This was, gosh, I don't know, eight, nine years ago. And we're driving and I'm like, I was mad about something. I was mad at somebody that I knew in ministry. And I was like, they're not helping me. I wanted, I wanted to feel cared for and I wasn't feeling cared for. And I, the more I talked about it, the more mad I got. Anybody ever know what that feels like? And the more mad I got, the more I was saying things that I was thinking, do you really believe that? And I'm thinking, yeah, it feels like I believe that, but this is wrong. I shouldn't say this. And I just looked at him and I said, my whole life has been an uphill battle. And I said, I just feel like my whole life I've been, you know, like just trying and trying and nobody can. I was just like going into this whole tirade. And I'm like, what the heck? And Grant just so patiently is driving and so patiently is quiet for a second. He looked at me and goes, I think you might need deliverance for that. (laughs) And I had already been through several rounds of deliverance at this point, so I knew he was right. I said, yeah, I think you're right, because something about that felt like that wasn't me, but it was very much me. What? Well, it was... Okay, fair enough. I have chosen to remember that that was my response. According to Grant, my response was actually, I think I was like, whatever, that's not the issue. But I think after I calmed down, I did say to you, yeah, I think you're right. Um, Thank you for holding me accountable. Uh, Yeah. Anyways. Um, but it was true because what happened was I found this point where it was like I would get to a certain place of breakthrough and it was like a bungee cord and I would get yanked back to the exact same feeling. That's a great way to know this is actually a spiritual issue because it's, it's like a cyclical thing. We keep going back to the same habitual deal, right? So that's one of the ways that we can tell. Another way is it's like it, you, it leads you away from the Lord. If God is in it, you are always going closer to him, even if it feels like your life is in chaos. There's something inside of you that feels like you're getting closer. When it's spiritual warfare, it typically makes you want to withdraw from the Lord. It makes you want to try to find coping from something else like food or binge watching Netflix or whatever because we don't want to go to the Lord because we feel like he's sort of a part of it. You know what I'm saying? That's one of the ways we can tell it's spiritual warfare is if if it's driving us away from God. Those are two of my like go-to things for myself personally. Um, And then obviously if it's like, if there's like, you know, sometimes, I mean, the, the, mani- the manifestation things that are obvious, like, you know, so like, like I'm um, thinking about a haunted house thing, like a friend of mine who was telling me that their cabinets would just open up. And I'm like, yeah, that's not normal, <laughs> you know? So you've got that kind of stuff, but that's obvious. So, um, okay, so those are some of the ways that we know we need to get um, deliverance. Okay, let's see. I want to talk for a second about the act of casting out demons and then a little bit about binding and loosing and then we'll take a break and do some time for questions. Um, So, this is my go-to. This is for me personally. This is my personal opinion and you guys are free to differ about this. But in my opinion, what we expect from the enemy is what he does. So what I'm expecting, especially in a deliverance setting, that's like, it's almost my expectation is permission for the enemy. Does that make sense? So for example, um, I remember sitting in a deliverance session with a friend of mine who was a deliverance counselor and he said, um, we're gonna bind up every manifestation because it was his conviction, we don't need that. He said, if the Lord needs you to have a manifestation, he has permission to bypass this prayer, but we're not, we don't need that. And so we sat there in this session and um, there was zero manifestation whatsoever. No burping, no vomit, no twitching, no nothing. It just looked like we were in a prayer group together. And the person was dramatically set free. And I saw that time and time again, and what I began to realize was when we expect a certain manifestation to come from deliverance, it almost becomes permission for the enemy to do that, right? Because that's what we're looking for. And also, that's where we apply our faith to. That's when I know I'm going to get breakthrough is if you get to this particular point. Now, it is true. Sometimes we do, when we're getting delivered, we do have weird things that happen. Like, uh, there's a ministry in Georgia, and everybody burps when they get delivered, which is so weird. But it's true. And Grant was there, and we... (laughs) And he was like, it's the craziest thing. You're like praying for somebody and it's very gentle. It wasn't like, you know, it was very gentle, natural prayer. And then it would be like somebody would burp. And it's like, yep, they're free. Okay, that's that's special. 
right? <laughs> I've seen other ministries where it's like, yep, we know you're free when you throw up. That's like, we're just waiting for it. We're waiting for you to throw up. Or we know you're free when, you know, you shake or whatever. And I, I think it's at some level, it's like, that's what we're looking for. That's where we're applying our faith to. So of course the enemy's gonna do that if he wants to. Going back to the story I told you about myself in Mexico, I wish so badly that somebody in that entire hotel complex had a grid that the manifestation was unnecessary to remove this thing from me because it was humiliating. And usually when someone is manifesting a demon, it's incredibly humiliating to them because they're aware in their mind. We think they're out of their mind, but most of the time they're absolutely aware in their mind. They see how you're interacting with them. I was in uh, Guyana this summer and we were doing this ministry time. And so this girl comes up and and I, I very rarely see someone fall down when I pray for them, okay? That, that's a back part to this story, so you'll understand why my thoughts were what they were when this happened. And so she said, I have a heart condition. I've had it since I was a kid. And I said, okay, can I put my hands on your shoulders? She said, yes. I said, okay, we're going to pray. And I put my hands on her, and she goes down, like, lifeless. And I'm like, that was not the Lord. That, like, in my heart, I just knew that was not the Lord. And I'm trying to catch her. It was super awkward. And uh, so she goes down, and she goes into a manifestation, and so our team that we were there with had told us we weren't allowed to do any type of deliverance with them, which I think was wisdom, because you don't know who that person is, because it could be the pastor's kid, and you're going, you know, could be really humiliating to them. So the, their, their thing for us was you just, like, make sure somebody knows and give them to an elder of the church or somebody who's in the church, and then that's all you do. So I'm watching her, and she's, you know, going, they got all these people over there they're praying for, they're throwing cloths on her, and I'm looking, and I'm like, who's going to just go, this is, no. But I didn't have the authority to do that, which was really aggravating to me, and I wasn't going to step over that on behalf of my own personal opinion, right? Um, but it was interesting because when, when, when you're on that, like I'm looking at her on the ground, I'm thinking she absolutely knows what's going on. She's absolutely aware of how the enemy is using her in this moment. She actually did get set free and she got healed as well, so it was great. The Lord worked in it. Um, <clears throat> but I think it's important for us to know when somebody's manifesting they're still there. So uh, a friend of mine said it to me like this, and I've, I love this, that the enemy is so good. His goal, he has so many goals in spiritual warfare, and most of them are about you becoming so humiliating that it cripples your walk with Jesus. So the way he would describe it is that it's almost like the enemy pops up and down out of your consciousness, where you go in and out of being aware, and he'll do it in such a way where you get the most hurt, right? So um, we used to go to Mexico quite a bit, actually, and when we were there is when a lot of these manifestations would happen much more regularly than around here. And so uh, I, I don't know how, probably because of my weird story, I got dubbed one of the people that deals with the people who get manifest, who start manifesting. So, and, <coughs> excuse me, it would always happen like two seats over for me, just as God would do it, you know. So... Um, one particular day we were in worship and this girl, she starts manifesting and all these people around are like, what do we do? What do we do? You, you can see that look in their eye like, do we get the holy water? Like nobody knows, you know, you start panicking. And I walked up to her and I said, hey, hey. And she's, and I go, hey. And she goes, what? And I was like, hey, can we go to the back of the room? Can you walk? And she's like, uh, yeah. And she's still kind of like wiggling a little bit. I'm like, come on, let's walk. So we walked to the back of the room, get her out of the middle of everything. She ended up getting set free. I got her connected to the deliverance counselor that was there. She ended up getting set free. And I had four people come up to me at the lunch that day and said, I didn't know you could talk to somebody. <laughs> I said, really? They're not aliens. They don't all of a sudden become like alien invasion, right? They're still a human. They need somebody to help them because the enemy's like taking their lunch right then. So, um, so when we talk about actually casting out demons, there's, it's really helpful to understand what you're expecting as a manifestation is probably what's going to happen. So my go-to move is we don't need no manifestations. That's my personal opinion. Now, I have been personally delivered. It's probably too much information for some of you guys, but here we are. Grain already ratted me out, so I'll wrap myself out. And uh, uh, I was in a, a deliverance session. This was probably like, I don't know, eight, nine years ago. And um, I had been really like attacked specifically in the area of charismatic things. I was like, I, I, uh, this is going to sound really strange. I'm just going to tell you the story like it happened, okay? And you can judge me later if you want to. So 
Um, but I had been in this setting where these bizarre manifestations of God were happening and I was having this like really intense struggle because it seemed so weird to me and I was having an internal battle about how to side with the Lord on that, okay? So I was sitting with a friend of mine who was a deliverance counselor and I was telling him, I don't know what to do. It's like this, it, it feels like a spirit. Like I can't, I can't get free from this. And he goes, well, let's, let's just talk about it right now. So we started praying and he said, um, and he called it out and he, and he said, uh, something like, spirit of weird, are you here? That's what he called it. He said, that's what you were describing it to be. And I'm like, what an oh mercy. Something came onto my neck like this that felt like a, like a dragon, like claws in my neck. And I was like, oh, it's here. It's here. <laughs> Let's move to part two and like get it gone, you know. And so we prayed again, you know, like rebuked it. This, all, this whole thing took maybe two minutes and I could feel it leaving to me. And I said to him, Phil, why could I feel that? Because I've been through so much deliverance and haven't felt very much, you know. And he said, the Lord wanted you to know that was the enemy. He said he wanted, you, he wanted to make sure, he, that was a word of knowledge that he had for me. He said he wanted to make sure that you understood that was the enemy, that wasn't you. And I was like, man, thank you for saying that. I didn't want to go through that. It, I didn't enjoy it, let's just be really honest. But it was really helpful for me to stop and say, Lord, I'm not resisting you. That was something of the enemy that had come in through a lie that I was believing and was affecting me. And praise God was then not. <laughs> um, so there's a couple of ways that we get trapped by the enemy that we need deliverance from. And one of them is through the lies that we believe. So if we're believing something and it's really like counterintuitive to who God is, often the enemy can ride on that and he can connect himself to that lie. And we do need like deliverance, what we would define as deliverance, which is a resisting of the enemy and removing him. So lies that we believe can open the door, sin that we do. Different sins that we commit, like, we need deliverance from. Not every sin, but definitely happens. Also, curses, like word curses. I think I've talked about some of this before, so you guys may be familiar with this. But um, word curses, did you know there are thought curses? Did you know, like, if you're super spiritually sensitive? I don't know if that, that actually might, that sounded weird. Scratch that. Let me start over. Some people can feel and like intuitively know when people are thinking really negatively about them and it becomes like a thought curse. I didn't know that was a thing, but I would have these moments where there's a couple people in my life who are, are not my biggest fans. And um, I would have these moments, I'm going about my day and I would just be like, oh my gosh, they hate me. And I could feel the intensity of this. And I, I was asking a mentor of mine and, and he said, yeah, um, that's a thing. Thought curses are a thing. I thought, oh my gosh, that's crazy. But the enemy will stop at nothing, right? So I think it's Proverbs that says a curse without cause. Is that what it is, Proverbs? Proverbs says a curse without cause won't, won't stand, won't light, won't alight. Thank you. Well, you can correct me if I said that wrong. But um, essentially what it's saying is not every curse will land on you, but some of them will, and they have a reason for being there. So we have to get good at asking the Lord, what's the reason? So you've got to look at deliverance like a door. Like there's a lock on that door, and that lock is what needs to go so that we can push that demonic thing out. Does that make sense? That's the most simple way I can explain it. So that's, I mean, there are so many ways the enemy comes against you, but those are like the big three, the big, uh, unforgiveness would be another one, which I would consider maybe in the sin category, but an action that we do that allows the enemy to come in. So um, we'll have time for questions about that in a little bit. Okay, I know I'm like fire hydranting you guys. Um, so the last area I want to talk about specifically is the area of binding and loosing. So you guys may be familiar with this. Matthew 18, 18, Jesus says, whatever you bind on earth, we bound in heaven. Whatever is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. And this is one of our best tools that we've been given, in particular when it comes to spiritual warfare, is understanding that what God has bound in heaven, we have authority and empowerment to bind on the earth. So I was listening to Dallas Willard this last week. Uh, I don't know if you guys know who he was. He was a theologian, and, and um, he made this statement that's been like sticking, you know, you have those sticks with you. And he said it's not that the, um, he's talking about the Holy Spirit and growth and spiritual formation. And he said it's not that the Holy Spirit, um, that we're waiting on the Holy Spirit to do something for us. It's that he is waiting on us. I thought, man, doesn't that apply to every area of our life? So in binding and loosing, it's not that God is waiting around for, you know, that, that we, could, we are waiting around for God to decide to bind something dark around our life. It's already done. The Lord is waiting for us to come into that to say, we are going to do that with you, Lord. Does that make sense? Um, so especially when it comes to spiritual warfare, man, that's got to be our mentality. It's already done in heaven. It's already been decided. Their fate is sealed. It's over. But now we are the ones that get to decide 
Is it coming in? Is it not? So binding and loosing is one of our absolutely favorite prayers. It's the most simple. It's actually embarrassingly simple for the fruit that it produces. So essentially what we're doing is saying, you don't have access to me. I may not be able to remove you, but I can remove myself from the effects of you. So let me tell you a very personal story. Um, We have a a person in our life who um, has really an affliction for the spirit of Jezebel. And um, I have had a a really hard time with this particular person. (laughs) They don't like me very much. Um, I don't think it's that they don't like me. I think it's Jesus and me that they have a hard time with. But um, I'll tell you what, man, the weirdest stuff has happened in this particular relationship. And for about seven years, I thought I was nuts which is one of the things that Jezebel does. It makes you think you're crazy. And also, this is just a freebie for anybody that deals with Jezebel. Um, Jezebel has this tricky way of making sure you're the only one that experienced whatever you experienced so nobody believes you. So you'll go, like I would have these conversations with this person and I would go and tell you know, people who knew them, I would say, this happened and they would go, you're, you're making that up. I'm like, why would I make that up? I don't ever make things up, you know? And it, it felt so offensive to me. Like, how do you not trust me? And that's just how Jezebel does. But Jezebel is one of those ruling powers that we can't, we're not just casting it out. We actually have to come out from the influence of. So after about seven years of this, I was having a conversation with Grant that I'm pretty sure I knew how this one went. So um, <laughs> we were sitting at the table. Correct me if I'm wrong, but we were sitting at the table, we were talking about this person, and man, he said this person's name, and it was like, the dragon emerged in me, you know? And I I was like, what is happening to me? And I realized that there was so much strife in that relationship. I had been forgiving, like every day I was forgiving, but there was something else deeper there. And Grant looked at me, he said, what do you think that is? Because nobody gets under your skin like that. And I said, I don't know. If I could figure that out, my life would be so great. So I went to a friend of mine, a mentor at the time, who was a deliverance counselor. He's the same spirit of weird person. And I said, here's the deal. Help me. Let's go to the Lord. Let's figure this out. And he, I get about maybe a minute and a half into the description. And he goes, you can stop. The Lord's already shown me what's going on. And he said, which he's one of those people that just heard from the Lord. He's with Jesus now. But man, he was razor sharp in his words of knowledge. And he goes, um, this particular person is under a spirit of Jezebel and that assignment is you. And he said, that's why when you're there, it's a problem and when you're not there, it's not. And I was like, oh, cool, 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 right? Like, it was like a light bulb went off and I actually felt so relieved because it explained what my relationship had been, what was going on. But at the same time, I'm like, what? Like, no, 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 you know? And uh, so we prayed, and then he said this to me. He said, Rachel, you cannot interact with this person unless you bind up Jezebel, or this is going to continue to happen. He said, you cannot, you're not going to be able to remove this spirit from this person, because they, that's up to them, right? And, uh, and I said, okay, fine, all right. I said, teach me what to say. So we, we write out this little binding prayer. It was as simple as this. In the name of Jesus, I bind up the spirit of Jezebel. There was a couple of other spirits that the Lord had revealed that we should bind up. Rejection, control, a couple things like that. Manipulation. I said, you cannot manifest towards me. You cannot project to me. I don't want anything to do with you in the name of Jesus. It was really that simple. So he said, now, don't do it. Do it for a little while and then don't do it and see see how you feel. I said, well, I don't know if I'll do that, but okay. So we started doing this. We would pray. He said, before you read an email, before you open your phone text, you know, like any kind of communication, bind this up. And this was was a longstanding situation, like I told you. It was very in-depth. And so... Uh, So I did, and um, man, I'm telling you, it was like a light switch. It was night and day different. Who this person was when we had bound that up was infinitely easier to be around, more kind, less aggressive towards me. It was the most, probably the most bizarre thing we've ever experienced. And so we would do this like diligently. We'd bind it up, we'd bind it up. So we had a situation about a year and a half or two into this um, process and I was caught off guard on the time they were coming over and I was caught off guard on what time it was and I heard the doorbell ring and the dragon came out in me you know and it was like I just oh and I thought to myself I I was in a basement I thought could I stay in this basement for the next four days this was my like legitimate feeling I don't have to go out there and I I was like ah and so Grant comes running down the stairs he said we forgot to pray come on let's pray and I'm like Yeah, and in my heart, just to be very honest and transparent, I thought to myself, I don't want to pray. 
I'm freaking pissed, just to be like very honest. I said, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of praying for this. I don't want to pray. So but I'm, that's what I'm thinking. So I'm like, Grant will pray and that will be enough. So we're holding hands. He's praying and I'm actively thinking to myself, I don't want this. This is so bad. But let me just say, if you're not in agreement, the prayer doesn't work, okay? My heart was in disagreement. So he's like, amen. I'm like, amen. <clears throat> and we were walking up the stairs and said, hold on. We were all supposed to go to lunch somewhere. I said, hold on. We were in a different city, okay? This is a family thing. We were in a different city. I said, do you think they could not go to lunch with us and we could all go? And Grant goes, so the entire group is going to go accept them? He said, that's not going to happen. I was like, okay, okay, that's fine, that's fine, okay. And so we get up the stairs and I am like, I'm like, like melting like a vampire in sunlight. Like I'm disappearing into myself. And so I'm like, I'm just going to get in the car. He's like, that's a good idea. And I'm like trying to hold it together outwardly, you know, hi, you know, inwardly I'm like, I freaking hate the devil. You're so bad. You know, I'm like, Rah. and so, and it was, they didn't even do, like, to be fair, they didn't do anything. I didn't even talk to them. It was just the fact that it was there that was like, hmm. So we're driving to this restaurant. It's snowing outside. There's like six inches of snow. We get about, I don't know, three-minute drive. I go, pull over. <laughs> Grant's like, what? I said, pull the car over right now. I have to get out. And he's like, our two little kids are in the back. And he's like, where are you going to go? I go, I'll walk back to the house. I'll, you guys can have your lunch. I'll stay there. There's no way to get into the house. Like, I had no key, nothing. I'm like, it's fine. It's what, 32 outside? I'll be fine for an hour. <laughs> And he's like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, if you love me at all, you will pull this car over right now. <laughs> and so we, he's like, no, because Grant is Grant. He's like, I'm not giving in to that garbage. Like, no. And so he keeps driving. So we, he goes, so we pull into the parking lot, and he puts the car in park, and he looks at me. He goes, you do not get out of this car until you have dealt with the Lord. And he gets like, hey, guys, let's go. <laughs> like... <laughs> And I sat there and I was like, oh, and I remembered my friend Phil saying, just don't bind it up and see what happens. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I repent. I'm going to try to milk this for as long as I can so I don't have to go into this lunch. And I prayed and, um, <clears throat> and got right with the Lord and bound it up. And we had a great time the rest of the time. And the reason why I tell you this story is because it's amazing what happens. It's not that hard to come in and out of agreement with the Lord, right? But it has to be intention on our part. It has to be that we decide, I'm not going to be afflicted by the Spirit any longer. And to be fair, in this particular relationship, this is one of those relationships that it's not going to go away. I can't do anything about it. And so uh, after about, I don't know, three or four years of the binding prayer, I told the Lord, you give me that key because I'm not binding this anymore. You know, I want to be done with this. And uh, so we've been through a process of really like seriously breaking that off. And uh, that's a whole nother teaching for another time. But I wanted to make sure that we talked about binding and loosing because we can do this in the relationships that we have with people, but also like in our home. So in the atmosphere of our home, a lot of times we live with people who aren't really walking with the Lord in the same way that we are. And so you're dealing with this kind of dual atmosphere situation. So you have permission to come out from under whatever it is that you're under. You might not have permission to deal with what's in them, but you absolutely have permission to deal with what's in you. So I do this like in so many areas of my life and it's that simple prayer, in the name of Jesus, I bind this up. And even if you don't know what it is, we just bind up the work of the enemy. And when I do that, for me personally, I like to imagine God coming in with a big old rope and tying that sucker down. <clears throat> you know, like a big threefold rope, threefold cord that can't be broken. And you know, uh, another friend of mine always prays, we bind and gag it. Like you can't even talk to us, you know, and that's a good imagery too. Like we're gagging you because this spirit, whatever it is, like manipulation or um, control, all that kind of stuff, like that just is so gross to be under. You don't have to be under it. And it is really as simple as saying the prayer I just told you, as long as you agree with it. Because as I told you before, if you don't actually believe what you're praying, it probably won't work. But, um, but this is what's crazy to me is we've shared these stories with people over the last, I don't know, eight years or so. And it's like person after person comes into that same place of freedom in themselves just by applying their faith in this way. So I wanted to make sure I told you guys about that in particular. Because again, in the spiritual warfare context, we can't always cast something out. 
but we absolutely do not have to be under the influence of anything in the enemy. Amen? Um, it's, just, you know, it's just up to us. It's up to us to say no to that. So um, let's, let's talk about if you're binding up like, like things that you can bind up besides specific spirits that are on someone, um, like principality things. I would highly encourage you to do this if you if you are like um, if you know what you're up against. If God has shown you this is what you know you're dealing with, bind that up because like you know we can't necessarily yet dethrone religion from this area. We're going for that. I'm believing God to give us the key to do that, but He hasn't given it to us yet. So our job now is to bind that up so that people aren't under the effects of the religious mentality, for example, and they can be free to have heaven loosed over them, right? So we're binding up the enemy. We're loosing. uh, I was telling somebody the other day, I said, listen, what you need to do is you need to loose the atmosphere of heaven in your home. You need to loose the atmosphere of joy in your heart, you know, whatever the case may be. But we're saying, okay, I'm tying this up. I'm opening this. This is what I want to come into my life. Does that make sense? All right, so that's a lot. It's a lot of information. Um, let's take a few minutes and do some questions. So questions you guys have, it, it could be about anything. It doesn't have to be, I mean, it could be about anything related to this topic. Um, it doesn't have to be something we covered. You can have a different question. Um, I, about, I, I first thank you for the whole because I Come on, amen. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But and this maybe this is too long for a whole sermon thing. But do you feel like it sometimes can come from a singular source? I mean, obviously it can be anyone in spiritual warfare, or or I guess maybe it's discernment. Can you just figure out like what's coming through each? For example, a neighbor of mine had another neighbor who was mentally ill, and so it's all resolved, and they figured out what was going on. But he was like coming onto their property and coming through their fence line and would carry a gun onto their property. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wondered, I was like, okay, can we just bind up all the things with one prayer? And is it one thing or is it all the things? Or what do you think? Yeah, so when you're surrounded on all sides by something bad, how do you deal with that? Yeah, I think, I think that um, it's probably more than just binding in that case. I think it's, it's binding, but it's also making sure that you understand who you are. Because a lot of times we give people access to us to affect us. Um, and those are people that just shouldn't be in our life. Like they shouldn't have a voice, not necessarily to know them, but they shouldn't have a voice of influence to us. So if we're really diligent to say, okay, why am I empowering this person's words, for example? Um, and then the litigation, okay, you know, Lord, what are you saying about that situation? I would isolate them and kind of go that route. Um, yeah, but it's, a th- I mean, it's very real for a lot of us that there are seasons where it's like everything possible comes at the same time. And in my opinion, this is just my opinion, a lot of times when that's the case, there's like a big breakthrough that's coming and it's just like the enemy's last ditch effort to keep you from coming into that revelation because otherwise you just get so defeated that you just quit. You want to quit on life, you know? You want to quit on God. Um, that's definitely not the time to quit. So it's a good question. Yeah. Um, on how do you come up with the names of the things that you are... To bind... Great question. So how do you come up with what you're actually binding? So um, for me personally, I just ask the Lord. Um, and I'm probably wrong half the time, just to be honest. I mean, you know, because we only know in part, like we're, not, we're never getting the whole story. Um, so I've had times where I've shared with mentors and they've said to me, hey, this is what that is. And so that's what I'll go, I'll go towards. But um, like going back to when I was sharing about my story of learning so much knowledge. So we can apply a lot of knowledge to learn like what are the different things the enemy does? Like, for example, what does religion look like? Or what is Jezebel? How do we know if it's Jezebel or religion or witchcraft, which is control, or Python or da-da-da-da? And what I've discovered is if it's not black and white in the Bible, then we can't make a hard and fast rule about it. So the Bible really doesn't give any 
like besides Mammon and maybe Jezebel, maybe in Revelation, the one reference in Revelation, there's not a lot of talk about even naming the spirit specifically. So I think it's more about just knowing that you're in line with the Lord and you're resisting what he's showing you to resist. So, I mean, that would be my personal opinion because we can use the patterns and have success in that. But anytime we take a pattern that has been working and we say this is always what it is, then we're already a little bit off, right? Because we're not in that place of childlike surrender as much. Yeah. But I do know, I do feel like for me personally, there's power in knowing what it is and naming you cannot. Yes. You cannot um, infiltrate this situation. Um, but I don't like, there's not like a book of names. Right. <laughs> that, that you can really trust, yeah. 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 Yeah, and you can do that whether you know the actual name or not. I I this might be a cough out, but I just love having really great intercessors that I can say, "What do you think this is?" and just borrow their term. <laughs> but there's a lot like for example, so I had all this this experience with Jezebel all this experience and like which I told you guys about before and when it was all really broken I thought to myself I probably will never be susceptible to Jezebel again because now I know all the tricks right and then um, about I don't know I think it was the summertime I was listening to a podcast that the Lord had told me to look something up I found it was one of those moments right I found a podcast it was about Jezebel and I was like oh Lord on high, this is back in my life. How did I not see this? And I knew that that situation was wrong. I knew it was not from the Lord and I've been praying and binding about it, but I hadn't like asked him to go deeper into that. And I think that's the place where it's like in that place of communion with him, he, he will show you. He'll point you to the resources. He'll direct you to what needs to be done because he doesn't, you know, if, if we're saying to the Lord, keep me free, I want to be free, he will respond to those prayers because otherwise what was the cross for, Right. So, other questions? Actually, the flip side of that for my own. Sure. Um, what, is there a, a list of what you're loosing? Sure. That's a great question. A list of what you're loosing. I, I don't have like a written one. Um, I was just thinking, wow, that's a great thought. Uh, I mean, it's like anything. Uh, okay, the fruits of the Spirit would be a good one. You know, and just start there. Because that's the, ev- the fruits of the Spirit is the evidence of the Spirit at work in you. So, yeah, so, yeah, and the opposite of what you're binding, yeah. Um, I can't remember his name, but he's famous. He talks about forgiveness, and he talks about... Rodney Hogue? Yeah. yeah. If you don't put something in... Yes, when you remove something, you've got to put something in. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, I actually, um, when I'm praying those prayers, that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm loosing what I want to see happen in accordance to what God is saying. So for people I know that don't know Jesus, this is actually one of my go-to prayers for them as well. Like when they're coming into a church setting, Lord, we bind up logic. We bind up control. We bind up analytical thoughts, whatever. And we're loosing over them your unconditional love. I don't know how effective it is per se in terms of the immediateness, but like we pray this all the time at the church that, you know, like what the enemy wants to do has to stay at the door. And we told you guys that testimony the other day of of that happening. And I think it happens more often than we're aware of because it's what we put our faith to, right? It's what we put our perspective to. This is a do not cross line. And when you come in here, you get to experience all of what heaven has to offer, hopefully. Yeah. Other questions? So do you have a good way of handling when someone's issue has become their identity and so they don't want to give it up because they're afraid they'll then lose who they are? Yeah, you just cut them out of your life. No, <laughs> just, no, 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 I'm, no I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> no, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> You're like, wait, what? <laughs> No, that's a great question. When, when someone's issue has become their identity, like if they are like a victim mentality or something like that, or what's the... Okay, so like example would be like we had a lady whose friend rented a, uh, an ambulance to bring her on a stretcher for like miracle meeting. Yeah. And so when it came time to minister to her, 
talking to her, she said, she just was really honest, and she said, you know, I'm afraid this is who I've become, and so I don't want wow. to lose it. Yeah. So that's, like, one example. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, especially especially with people that are desperate. Yes. Um, our go-to move is to bind it up and give them an opportunity to see what they can be like without it. Um, I Somebody told me once, and I don't know, you know, I think this is one of those kind of gray area things, but they were talking about when weeds grow around a flower, if you pull the weed out, you pull the flower out too. And I think in those situations, my go-to typically is let's focus on your identity and like, and give give yourself a vision of the more you get closer to Jesus, the more everything in your life is going to change, even if your physical condition stays the same. So that's a really good point, though, too, because sometimes we rush into deliverance with people, and we're like, oh, you need to be free, you know, and we make that, like, so blazoned across them that then they feel like I can't be a human until I get free. And I have watched, unfortunately, way too many people rush into deliverance before it's time for them. And it actually has a really negative effect on them because, because if you're going to get free, you have to stay free especially if it's like a big deal, you know, if we're talking about, like for me in that instance of the spirit of weird I told you guys about, like that was not a life crippling thing for me. It was not hard for me to stay free. You know, that was like a minor deal, um, even though it was a, a bizarre manifestation. But for the most part, when we are like, man, I need a breakthrough, you have to have that desperation in you to actually have the fuel to stay free. So um, I, that's been my big, in the last few years, that's been my biggest learning point with deliverance, just to be honest, is not rushing people to get a breakthrough because it can, because um, they need to do it for themselves. I was listening to a deliverance counselor who's been doing deliverance for, I don't know, 30 years, said this point, and they said, our first question in our intake before we pray is, who are you getting deliverance for? I was like, wow, that's so interesting. Like, are you doing it for yourself? Are you doing it because your wife said you need it? Are you doing it because your husband said, you know, or are you doing it because your mom said she won't keep paying your bill? You know what I mean? Like, he goes, I have to figure out what's your motivation here? And if it's anything but I want to be free, they don't proceed. And he said, because what we've learned is if you're doing this for anybody else, it's not really going to work in the same way. I thought, wow, that is like gold, 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 gold. So, yeah, that'd be my thought. Yeah. Okay. So if you feel like you need prayer.